All right. Well, good evening. How are we doing? All right. I think we can do better than that. Let's try it one more time. How are we doing tonight? All right. Any students back in town? Yeah. Hey, listen, if you're a UT student, if you're a Southwestern student, a St. Ed student, ACC student, Texas State student, if you're a student of any kind, uh, we're so glad that you're back. And uh, we love worshiping with you on Sunday nights at 7 o'clock. You're always welcome here. And it's a joy and a privilege to share tonight with you. My name is Chad Kinser, and I serve as our campus pastor here at the downtown PM 5 and 7 o'clock services, uh, and also one of our preaching pastors. And so uh, looking forward to share with you tonight. Really, really, really excited about where we're headed tonight and over the next few weeks. Uh, this time every year we stop and take time to kind of explain what we're doing as a church. So I know some of you are coming in for the first time and kind of experiencing what's going on at the Austin Stone. We want to catch you up to speed and kind of explain uh, who we are as a church, why we do some of the things that we do, uh, and kind of what makes us uh, unique as a church. And so uh, we want to talk about the direction of our church with mission and vision. And we are starting tonight what we're calling a vision series, uh, kind of casting vision for where we're headed as a church. We're calling it This Matters. Uh, and as I just said, we thought it would be right this year uh, as so many of you are coming in maybe for the first time to kind of explain again why we do some of the things at the Austin Stone that we do. And so uh, one of the fun things about every year this time, with students rolling back in town and others coming back into a kind of a normal rhythm of life off of the summer, uh, is we get to meet so many of you uh, who are joining our, our church for the first time, coming in our doors for the very first time. And uh, if that's where you are tonight, I want to say we're so glad that you're here. Welcome. Uh, you're always welcome to come and process Jesus here, no matter uh, what sort of brings you in. But as we recognize that so many of you might be first-timers or first-timers again uh, for the first time in a long time, uh, we thought it would be appropriate just to kind of let you know where we are as a church. So some of you coming in with a background in church, others of you coming in from another denomination or another faith background, others of you, uh, you've never even been to church before, tonight's your very first time, and so you've got some thoughts about all of this, but now you're kind of experiencing it all for the first time. Wherever you're landing tonight, we're so glad to share life and faith with you. And so over the next few weeks, as we talk about why we do the things that we do, we want to make sense of things like at a church, like why do they dunk people in water and call it baptism, you know? Why do they take, uh, or why do we take some pieces of a loaf of bread and, and dip it in grape juice and call it the Lord's Supper? Uh, why do we sing? Why do we preach? Why a lot of different things? And our hope over the next few weeks is this, is that you would have a greater understanding of what's going on on Sundays when you come each week, but then also that you'd have a greater understanding of our church in a way that would cause you to want to join us. We love the fact that God has given to us a pretty big family here in and we don't believe he's done, and, and we, we, want, we want more. We want more family. We believe that Jesus has more purposes for this city, and we're going to need more people to lock arms with, to push back darkness and push forward the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Amen? So as we get in tonight, uh, get started, let's open up to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, if you have a Bible, that's where we're going to begin. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, the words will be on the screen behind me. And tonight, we're going to talk about preaching. Uh, we're going to answer a couple of questions tonight when it comes to preaching. Why do we preach? Uh, so we're going to answer the question that maybe if you've been a part of church for any length of time and you're like, every week someone stands up on a stage, why is that the case? Like, why is that the sort of mode of worship? We're going to talk about that tonight. Why do we preach? And then second question tonight, why do we preach the way that we preach? So why do we preach and why do we preach the way that we preach? And I want to begin our time together by looking at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Again, if you don't have a Bible, the words will be on the screen behind me. But I'll read and then we'll jump in from there. So the word of Christ speaks to us like this. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, 
to preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Well, you and I don't live in a world anymore or even today that knows much of kings and kingdoms. Right, so I think, I think there may be some people in the room that are coming from all over the world, and maybe you're an international student, but most of us in this room, I think it's a safe bet to say that most of us kind of grew up in the U.S. of A., you know, hashtag America. And so uh, I think that's where kind of most of us are coming in the room tonight. And so we don't often, like we know what royalty is, but we don't have a real good understanding of it. We, we can sort of say some things about it, but we don't have much experience with it. For us, for Americans, the things of kings and queens are often pretend or things that we kind of play around with. So it's something that comes around uh, every year if you're in high school and it's like the, the prom season or it's the homecoming season and there's a king and a queen and, and it's kind of pretend, but you're like, some of you are saying, no, it wasn't pretend. I was the queen. You're not anymore. It was pretend. And so we're moving on from there. Uh, so the things of, of, of homecoming, of prom, it's, it's maybe something about uh, fairy tales or Disney movies. I watch all kinds of Disney movies now as the as a dad of two young daughters. And so I'm familiar with kind of the fairy tale kings and kingdoms and queens and princesses and so on. Or maybe, maybe you don't think about those things at all when it comes to the issue of kings and kingdoms. Maybe it's just, you know, Budweiser, the king of beers comes to mind and those kind of crazy commercials. Or, or maybe it's the two-for-one Blizzard special at Dairy Queen, right? Like, I, I don't know, I think that's actually happening right now in case you're wondering. So there's, there's all kinds of imagery, but that's, it's not really something that affects us, is it? Prom, homecoming, movies, restaurants, like these aren't things that actually affect us. At best, when we think of kings and queens, we think of something that's happening maybe in England where it's a bunch of ceremony and pomp, but it doesn't really affect everyday life. But the problem is, when it comes to Jesus Christ, he's actually a king. Like it's not pretend, it's not like fake or, or imaginary or ethereal, like he's really a king who has a kingdom, who is ruling and reigning right now, even if it doesn't seem so to you. One of my favorite theologians, Abraham Kuyper, uh, he's a Dutch theologian. He has this to say about the kingship of Jesus. He says, there's not a single square inch over the whole domain of our human experience that Christ, who is sovereign over all things, does not declare, does not cry, mine. There's not a single square inch over our whole human experience that Christ does not have a place where he doesn't say mine. All of it is his. Every single bit of it belongs to Jesus. He is a king. And his kingship is forever. It's right now. And it's going to go on and never, ever, ever be shaken and never end. This is Jesus, our king. And so fundamental to what it means to be a king is to have a word, right? Kings have decrees. Kings have like sort of an authoritative standard. They have a word that goes forward to their kingdom and shapes the kingdom. It, it gives order to the kingdom. It's, it's a word that now defines how the operation of the kingdom is going to move forward. Kings have a word. They have a word that shapes their kingdom. It's a, it's a word that comes from within the convictions and the character of the king himself. It goes out from him and then it shapes the character and the convictions of the people under his rule, right? This is what it means to be a king. And so all of us know something of this, even if we've never lived under the rule of a king, because we, we're in an election year, right? So I'm not saying that our, our presidential candidates or our presidents are kings, but, but think about it for a second. They're the highest level leader in our country. And think about right now the two candidates. How is it? 
how is it that they are trying to shape their campaigns? How is it that they're trying to shape policies and shape culture of America? How is it? It's through a word. It's through their words. It's through their debates. It's through what they, what they propose to be a new plan. It's through a word. And so all of us know this. All of us see this. Fundamental to what it means to be a king is to have a word. And listen, Jesus is no different. The scriptures actually tell us that he's the king of all kings. So he's the one who defines kingship in the first place. And so he has a word. He has a word. And this is exactly what Paul is writing to Timothy about in this passage we read at the beginning of our time together. Look at it again. Paul says this to Timothy. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, by his appearing and by his kingdom. You see it right there. Paul is saying, Jesus is a king. And by the authority of Jesus, who is also a judge, by the authority of Jesus the king, verse 2, he's going to give Paul a command. Based on Jesus the king ruling and reigning with a word, here's what Paul is going to tell young Timothy the pastor to do. Look at the beginning of verse 2. It says, preach the word. Preach the word. Based on the kingship of Jesus, there's something that has to be done, a command, and that is preach the word. So this takes us to the first question I want us to kick around tonight. Why do we preach? Why do we preach? So why every Sunday when you come to church, do we sing a little bit? We're going to talk about singing a little bit next week. But why is it that you come to church, the service begins, there's a little bit of singing up front, and then a guy comes up, opens a Bible, and starts teaching from it. Why is that the case? Well, at the foundational level for us, our answer to why we preach is that we've been commanded to do so. We've been commanded to do so. Verse 2 is very clear. It's not, enough, it's, not, it's not up for debate. It's not optional. It's not sort of a suggestion. It is a clear command. Preach the word, right? And so this cuts at the heart of even what it means to be Christian. So take preaching off the table for a second. Take, take preaching off the table for a second. At the heart of what it means to be a Christian is to respond to the commands of Jesus. To be a Christian literally means that you confess Jesus to be Lord. That you confess Jesus to say, you are king, you are my king, you are alone my king, you are ruler over me, and you are right. All of your judgments are right, all of your words are right. Jesus, you are right. That's what it means to be a Christian, to say Jesus is Lord, right? So, so then here's, here's the argument. If Jesus is Lord, then that means he sets the agenda, right? If Jesus is really king and he's really Lord, then that means he sets the agenda. This is what it means. And so our King Jesus has ordained, he has set it up, he has made it to be so, that the primary way that his church, you and me, the primary way that you and I would be called to life, the primary way that you and I would be kept and sustained, the primary way that you and I would be encouraged to keep going in the faith or rebuked when we're, or corrected when we're wrong in the faith, the primary way that you and I would be instructed and informed would be through preaching. He has ordained it to be so that the way you and I would know our life together as Christians would be through preaching. But notice, it's not just preaching in general. Like it's not just proclamation for the sake of proclamation. It's not just declaration for the sake of me coming up here, having some energy and some charisma just to get you excited and send you on your way. It's not preaching in general. It's preaching in particular. It's preaching a specific thing. Look again at verse 2, what he says to preach. He says to preach the word. 
to preach the word, right? So, so just in case you didn't know, like when I get up here to preach week in and week out or one of our other preaching pastors comes up here to preach, like this isn't our own ideas. This isn't like a 35-minute, you know, commercial break where I get to sort of interject my latest hunch on how I think life best works. That's not what this is. This isn't like, hey, guys, I had an idea about some things that I think you would do well to know about, some suggestions and advice for your crisis. That's not what preaching is. The command has nothing to do with the preacher. The command has everything to do with the word that is being preached. The command has everything to do with the word that is being preached. And listen, that's good news for us. Because, because I'm just an average dude born in Oklahoma City. Judge me later if you want to on that or like me for that. I don't care. The point is, who am I? I didn't, I'm no one special. I didn't come from anywhere special, clearly, right? And so I'm as broken and busted as anybody in this room like, if we're coming to hear my latest thoughts, I'm just going to tell you, like, there's 1,500 people in here. We're in trouble. Like, if that's why you've come. And so the fact that this, this, this command has nothing to do with the preacher, but has everything to do with the word being preached is good news for us. Because God has made preaching to be powerful. God has made preaching to be authoritative for you and for me and for the entire church because of the word being preached, the word is what is powerful. And so the Old Testament prophet Isaiah says it this way, Isaiah 40, verse 8. He says, grass withers and the flowers they fall, but the word of our God stands forever. So grass withers and dies. My grass looks stupid right now, right? It's just sun scorched. It's totally withered. I need to replant some flowers in my flower bed. My wife is on me about this. So grass withers and the flowers, they fade. But, but the word of our God, it stands forever. So this makes the command to preach the word so incredible. Because I have the confidence and you have the confidence as those who hear the preaching of the word every week to know that what's being preached to you is not a passing word. This isn't a fading word. This isn't a word that was, that was true today or sounded good today. But like two weeks from now when we come back to church, I'm going to have to go, hey guys, two weeks earlier... I missed it. I'm sorry about that. This is an enduring word. The word of God is an enduring word. And it stands for all people across all times, across all places. The word of God is an enduring word. And listen, this is huge for us. This is huge for us because you and I live in a culture where sort of the mantra, the MO of our current culture is, hey, listen, whatever you think feels good, whatever seems good to you, if it feels good, do it. Whatever area of life, whether it be your own pursuit of pleasure, your own pursuit of success, your own pursuit of comfort, your own pursuit of power or control, your own pursuit of relationships, hey, if it feels good, do it. What's true for you is true for you. What's true for me is true for me. Like, this is the culture, this is the mantra, this is the air we breathe. We live in a world where everyone around us is seeking to live by their own standard, by their own word, to find life for themselves. And so you know this, for example, right? Like in our culture, the, the popular culture word on sexuality, what's, what's accepted, what's rejected, what's permissible, what's tolerable, the, the cultural word on sexuality is changing by the minute. 
Like it's an ever-changing word. So you think about that, but you also think about the word, the popular culture word on racism and racial reconciliation and race issues. Depending on which crowd you're listening to, the word is ever-changing. So you think about not only those issues, but the issues of pleasure, of family, of success, and the list could go on. If you're listening to popular culture for the authoritative standard, you're going to be listening to a word that is changing almost by the minute. The the word of popular culture is not a word that can hold you or direct your life forward. At best, at best, your own ideas and your own word for how to understand life, at best, can entertain you for a little while. But it cannot hold you. It can't hold you. What you and I need is an enduring word that lasts through every season and that stands forever. And so just just sort of put my cards on the table. At the Austin Stone, we believe that the word of God, the Bible, is absolutely perfect and it's authoritative. There's no mixture of error. There's no mixture of contradiction. We believe that the word of God, the Bible, is perfect and authoritative. And even though it was written by the hands of men over hundreds of years across different continents, we have full confidence and believe that they were not writing their own ideas. They were not writing what sounded best to them. But the scriptures tell us they were writing what was given to them as inspiration under God. And they were writing, to the, they were writing down the very words of God and they've been perfectly preserved and passed down to you and I as we know them in our Bibles. We completely believe this and maybe you say that and that's you really like you're, you're in on that that sounds like a big trust you're giving yeah I'll show you where I get that second Timothy or second Peter rather second Peter chapter 1 verses 20 and 21 it says this knowing this first of all that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation you see that? Like no, no scripture is coming from someone's own interpretation or how they read a situation. None of the biblical writers were writing because they go, oh, I guess it's like that. It wasn't their own conclusion. They're not writing from their own interpretation. Look at 21. It says, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. So like no biblical writer like woke up one day, stretched and yawned and thought, I think, I think I'm going to write scripture today. That's not what's happening. It's not by the will of man. Like I willed myself to do it. It says, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so we believe that the word of God, the Bible, are the very words of God. They're perfect. They're authoritative. No mixture of error. And we fully believe that this word is sufficient for us in a kind of way where there is no other word. There is no other revelation coming to us before the return of Jesus Christ. This is the word we stand on. So some of you hear that. And uh, you hear this high view of the word that we, we kind of have as a church, our position on the word of God. And immediately as I say these things, maybe for some of you rolling through your minds are things that you've heard people say or things that you've heard other people do at different points that had a horrific manipulation of people or of congregations or of churches all in the name of something that the Bible said. You're thinking of maybe horrific misuses of the scriptures. Maybe some of you, as you hear me talking about the Bible being perfect and authoritative, maybe some of you are thinking about some obscure Old Testament passage that you've read before 
like some verse like that was kind of pulled out of context in the Old Testament, and a verse that talked about like violence or judgment, a verse that you didn't really know what to do with, that you had a non-believing friend come to you over coffee and say, can you explain this verse to me? And you're like, I can't. And so maybe you came to the conclusion, I mean, most of the Bible is true, but there's some things that just don't matter much anymore. And so we kind of push those to the side. So maybe that's where you're coming to the conversation. And then you hear me say, but we believe that, that every word has perfectly placed, that there's, there's no accident here, there's no typo here, that even those verses that you can't explain are not there by accident, that all of them are there on purpose. You hear me say those things and you, you've got some questions. But here's where we are. Either you believe the Bible's true or not. Because there's no in-between on this. You've got to hear me. There's no in-between on this. And here's why I say that. Because in-between position, that some of this is true and some of it's not, or some of it's not necessary, but there's other parts that I can take. There's no in-between because in-between, it doesn't make sense. Track with me for a second. Like, so if there's any point where what the Bible is saying is not true, if there's any point where what the Bible is saying isn't true, because of the broader commands, the, uh, bro the broader statements, rather, the Bible is making, because of the broader claims the Bible is giving, if there's any statement that's not true, then the whole thing has to be questioned entirely. If the Bible's going to make broader claims about who God is and what God does and how God acts and his character, but there's other parts that aren't true, then, then we have to question the whole thing entirely. And so there is no... There is no in-between here because in-between just doesn't make sense. And so if you've taken that position, here's what you've done. You've come to Scripture and you've said, I, I like this. I can understand this. I don't like that. I can't understand that. So I'll take these things and I'll remove these things. And, and then there's my faith. And if that's the approach you've taken to Scripture, let, let me tell you what, what you've got. Who is God at that point? Because what you've done is you've come to Scripture as the judge to say, this stays, this goes. This gets amplified, this gets entirely amputated. And then what you have at that point is you're putting yourself in the place of God. And the faith you come up with at the end of it is something of your own making that's, that's no longer Christianity. So you have to come to the bottom of the question, like, do you, do you believe the Bible or not? You see, we just happen to believe it's true. And we believe it's true because of the one who is speaking in the scriptures, God himself. We believe that in him there is no mixture of error. In God himself there is no lie. In God himself there isn't anything that changes. He is unchanging. We just sang it. And so therefore the word that comes from him is true. The word that comes from him is not a lie. And the word that comes from him is unchanging and all wise. And so, and so the word of God is way more powerful than a preacher who has misused it. And I'm sorry if you've experienced that. It's way more powerful than the men who penned it even. Don't let flawed men take you away from the treasures of scripture. Because the word of God stands. Even if they don't. It stands. And so why do we preach? Because we've been commanded to. Jesus has spoken in his word. He has spoken. He has spoken for your care. He's spoken for your good. He's spoken for your formation. And he now declares, rightly so, as a king, preach my word. 
This is why we preach. This is the second question for the night. Why do we preach at the Austin Stone? Why do we preach the way that we preach? If you've been with us any length of time, you know there's a particular way that we preach at the Austin Stone, and it's something we hold dearly, and it's something we believe in, believe in very, very deeply. And the answer to this question really flows out of the answer to the first question about what we believe about the Bible. So for us, on a typical Sunday, this is a unique season where we're kind of taking some time to explain some things. But if you come on a typical Sunday, you're going to find us just working through a book of the Bible. In preaching for us, you're going to find us just working through verse by verse. We're going to be going through systematically a book of the Bible. Two or three times a year, we're going to pause from sort of that rhythm, and we're going to do a series like this where we kind of explain some things, where we kind of address some things. But most of the time, you're going to find us just working through a book of the Bible. Right now, we're taking a break and a hiatus to do this series, but, but we're right in the middle of a long journey through the book of Exodus, Old Testament book of Exodus. Before that, we preached through Ephesians. Before that, it was the book of Mark. We, we just work through books of the Bible. And so for us, here's why we do that. We're just confident that the, the model of preaching that, that you need, the model of preaching that, that I need, that we need as a church, is a model of preaching that will put this perfect and authoritative word of God on display front and center. We're just, con- we're just convinced of that. And for us, we see as far as we can tell, the most faithful way for us to put the word of God front and center on display is just to take a book of the Bible, open it, and work through it. Just to work through it. So there's some people that, that hear of our model of preaching and they go, man, you can't grow a church like that. Like, like no one wants to come to the church. Like the Bible's going to be boring for them. They, they don't want that. They just want to come to church, get some practical instruction for life, how to live better. They want to come to church and feel better, feel encouraged. But no one wants to come to, to learn from the Bible. You, you, can't, you can't grow a church that way. And here's our response to that. Maybe you're right. Maybe we can't. But we just can't get around the fact that we believe that God has spoken in his word. And whether or not you like the Bible is another conversation. But we just believe it's really important that we at least know what it says and then see what God would do with us. Like, let's just, can we just know what it says and then see what God would do with us? And so that's the model we've taken over the last, I mean, we're 13 years old now. So, so 13 years ago when our founding pastor, Mark, Matt Carter, planted this church. He showed up first Sunday. There was 15 people in the room. He told this story last week, and he said, open your Bibles to John chapter 1. And for two years, just kind of worked through that thing. And we are here now. <laughs> I think it's kind of worked, you know. But here, for us, we're just really convinced that God has spoken. And listen, I don't need to speak for God. Like, if he's really God, and, and, and we believe he's personal and he's real, I, I think if he's God, he can speak for himself. He doesn't need my help. He's a king, for crying out loud. He doesn't need me to apologize for him and soften his word like, oh, guys, I'm sorry for my friend Jesus. He gets carried away sometimes, you know. I don't, I don't have to apologize for him. He's a judge, and his judgments are good. Listen, I don't even have to convince you of his word. He was resurrected from the dead. Like that kind of validates your word, you know? Like if you were lifeless for three days and then you come back better than you were before, what you say goes. So I'll just let him convince you of his word by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
so, so what I want to do is just be honest, open it and say, what would God say to us even if it stings? But what would God say to us even if it changes our life? I, th I think we deserve to give him a listen. And so for us, that, that's the model we, we believe is most faithful for us to do that. And so here's, here's what you can expect when you come to Austin Stone every week. There's going to be one of our preaching pastors come up, open a Bible, read a passage, and then work to explain its clear meaning, like not some secret meaning behind the passage where we get from some other spiritual force, source, or force. <laughs> We're not going to perform some jujitsu on the text to go, oh, we've discovered a new meaning. We're going to labor really hard to give you the clear meaning, given by its context, we all see it clearly. And then lastly, we're going we're to ask God to help us give the clear application to our lives. And then we're going to end by just saying, God, would you help us with all of that? Here's your word. We just read it. Here's what it means. Here's how it should work in our life. God, help us. That's what you're going to get every week from us. And we believe that's really faithful for who God is and how he's building his church. And so why do we preach? Because we've been commanded to. And why do we preach the way that we preach is working through books of the Bible? Because we want God's word, the voice of God himself, to drive our preaching and let his voice speak for itself. And so here's the last thing I want to do as we, as we end tonight. So far we've just talked about preaching itself. I've got about ten minutes left and I, I want to actually preach. <laughs> and here's how I want to do that. I want to show you from scripture where every single scripture in all of the Bible is flowing. There's a common direction that every scripture, whether you read Genesis or whether you read Revelation, that's the last book, whether you read the beginning or the end or anything in between, there's a common direction that all scripture is flowing and there's a common place that every sermon you hear should land. And I want to show you that. So if you've got a Bible, go to Luke chapter 24 and just got a few moments left. Luke 24, if you don't have a Bible, the words will be on the screen behind me. So where we're picking up in Luke, Jesus has just been resurrected. Where we're picking up in Luke 24, it's actually the very day, the same day that Jesus had been resurrected. And there are two of his disciples that are walking along this road to Emmaus. It's a town. And as they're walking along the road, they were talking together about everything that had happened. The death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus that they had heard about. They hadn't actually seen it or seen Jesus. They'd only heard from their friends. He wasn't in the tomb anymore. And they were just talking about how crazy all of this was. And where we pick up, it's at a spot where Jesus is going to show up to them, kind of walk up to him, and he hears the conversation, and he's going to say something about the things they were discussing. And here it is, verse 25. It says, He said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe, all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his kingdom? To his glory. And look at verse 27. He says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Okay, so do you see what happens? Jesus shows up to his disciples and, he's, and they're talking about all the crazy stuff that happened with his, with his crucifixion and now his resurrection. And he says, Listen, didn't you guys slow of heart to believe? You knew this was coming, right? You, you, you knew this was coming. Like, this had to happen. And then in verse 27, it says, he unfolded for them. He worked through the entire Old Testament. Moses and the prophets. 
Genesis all the way to the end of the Old Testament. So I don't know how long the road was or how long the walk was or if they stopped at some point, but it sounds like a lengthy conversation. It says, he opened to them, Moses through all the prophets, the things concerning himself. So that's Old Testament, right? Like Jesus hadn't showed up yet. And yet he's saying, but yet all of that was about me. So, so there's a common direction. Every scripture, every text of the Bible, every story, every teaching, every prayer, every psalm, everything is flowing in a common direction. It's pointing to Jesus. So all of scripture is summed up in Jesus. All of its scripture finds its meaning in Jesus. All of its scripture is resolved in Jesus. Scripture makes sense because of Jesus. And this is what he's saying. Jesus goes, this is how I read the Bible. So maybe you should too. I don't know. It's about me, so I'll tell you how to read it. Thanks for the rubric, Jesus. It's helpful. So, so here's what's interesting about that. This is such good news for you and me. This is such good news. Here's why. Because if you pull open the Old Testament, like you're going to find all kinds of passages that speak about judgment for sinners. That speak about judgment for sinners against the holiness of God. Judgment for people like you and me. People who have failed to obey God and believe God and follow God. You're going to open up an Old Testament passage and speak of judgment. But here's the good news. Understanding the Bible this way means that the thing doesn't end there. That it rolls forward and then we're introduced to someone who comes onto the scene, Jesus Christ, who lives a perfect life who dies a death that we deserve, where he takes on himself the judgment of God for sins so that people like you and me, sinners, don't have to know the judgment of God, but we get the grace of God. So reading judgment passages all of a sudden makes sense because we go, I deserve that, I totally do, but Jesus took it, and I don't know it now. I just know grace and forgiveness. No matter what I feel, that's what's really true. Jesus came. Understanding where the Bible's pointed Helps everything. It makes, it makes sense in light of Jesus. So here's what happened, right? Jesus, the Son of God, stepped onto the scene to fulfill all the righteous requirements of the Word of God so that you and I would no longer know judgment but full-on forgiveness of God the Father. Praise the Lord. So tonight if you're walking in here, the Bible and its message says, if you trust in Jesus, your sins are forgiven. But also it's true that you're going to open this Bible. And if you turn through its pages, you're going to find all kinds of promises. All kinds of promises from God for his people. Good kinds of promises that he is for you. And all kinds of promises that he's fighting for your good. But here's the problem with the promises. If you read more, the promises are only for those who are faithful. That's not us. So we love the promises, right? We want them on graduation cards when we pull out the $25 check, but inside it said, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, and Jeremiah 29, 11 is there, and we go, oh, I feel better. Thanks for the 25 bucks, you know. So we love the promises, but the problem is the promises are only for the faithful. But we're introduced to one Jesus who comes onto the scene and he pays the price for your unfaithfulness and my unfaithfulness so that what happens is we end up getting now all the good gifts of the faithfulness of God, which means now all the promises of God actually do belong to us. So we can feel good about the graduation card. We can feel good about other promises in Scripture because now because of what Christ has done, they now belong to us. 
So now we get promises like he will never leave you or forsake you. You'll never be separated from his love. You now get promises like he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's faithful to you and he'll never change. You even get promises that in the midst of your suffering and sorrow, he works all things together for good. Keep, come, keep, keep walking. Keep running. He's not done yet. These are the promises. And we get them because of Jesus. We get them because of Jesus. So, so this book, because of Jesus, isn't something we have to be afraid of. It's not something we have to dread. Because we can come to this book with all its precious promises and all its warnings and all its wisdom and, and all its rewards. And we can know it's all mine now because of Christ. God is for me. He's come to save me. He's actively restoring me. He's bringing me to his kingdom. He's sharing everything with me because of Jesus. That's true for you. Even if it doesn't feel so now, it's true for you. Let truth drive your feelings, not feelings drive truth. Truth stands forever. And so I want to show you one last verse tonight before we close. Understanding all of the Bible like this about Jesus. Look at verse 32 of Luke 24. This is how the disciples responded after seeing the Bible this way. Verse 32. It says, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road and when he opened the scriptures to us? The disciples said, seeing the Bible this way, our hearts were burning, weren't they? Like, like God is for me. He's not against me. My heart burned to know that Jesus has come to make sense of all of this. You see, in Christ... All of life and our heart's affections find their place. And so the reason we preach is because we've been commanded to do so by King Jesus. It's not just that he's a king. He's actually our king. We've been commanded to preach. But also we preach because preaching is the model and the mode through which he says, I want to give more of myself to you. I want you to see more of who I am. I want you to know more of my character. I want you to have closer relationship with me and know that I'm with you and I'm in on you. Let's, let's go. Come, follow me, he says. And so church, my greatest privilege is to preach the word of God. And it's my joy to labor and to pray along with the other preaching pastors at our church. And I just want you to know my prayer for you, my prayer for us is that we would be a people whose hearts burn within us as the scriptures every single week would be open to us. For this is the word of God to us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it's true that we don't have to go find another word for ourselves. We don't have to go find life for ourselves. We don't, go have, to, we don't have to go make up a, a standard for ourselves that you have already given us one in your word. God, I pray for my friends that you would give us the power of the Holy Spirit to increasingly understand your word, to increasingly love your scriptures, God. That we would be a people who are shaped by the, by the enduring word of our King Jesus. So my friends who are here tonight, God, I, I pray for those who are doubting your word, who have lots of questions about your word. I pray that by the power of the Spirit, 
in the community of believers that you would confirm the truthfulness of your scriptures. God, that no one in this room has to go somewhere else to find God. You've given us your word that points us to your son, Jesus. I pray for my friends in here who are having struggling, struggling to believe that you love them, that you're for them, that you're with them. I pray that they would know the message of the Bible, that Jesus the Christ has died for their sins, that all that they would know from you is love. God, where feelings are trumping your truth, I pray that the power of your spirit would cause truth to trump their feelings. That they would know you love them, God. For my friends in the room tonight who are just checking this whole thing out, God, you know that there's some here tonight who aren't believers in Jesus who are coming to try to understand what it means to follow him. I pray that, that you would rescue them. God, that you would woo them, that you would cause them to see Jesus the Christ, that he died for their sins, that they no longer have to search, that you have come to find them. Not them find you. And would you help them to confess Jesus is Lord even tonight. God, we love you. And we're so grateful that you would give us a word to preach. Would you help us as a church to be faithful to do just that. We pray in Jesus' strong name. Amen.